So I just do like a nice kind of heaping-ish teaspoon. Okay. Last December, I was so excited to have Josh Radner over to my house. So, and then I do some stevia drops. Okay. Because it's a little bitter. Mm-hmm. You probably mine, know like, Josh from How I Met Your Mother or Hunters yeah, on Amazon, or maybe even from really? his career as a singer-songwriter. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to talk to Josh about right. acting and music okay. and make some coffee together. All right, and then we just do okay. a basic classic pour. Okay, kind of forces you to pour it slowly, I guess, for the... It's good, it helps you work on patience in the morning. Yeah. There was just one problem. Josh doesn't drink coffee. Do I explain this to you or? Yeah, I know, just uh, Okay, so yerba mate is like, I think it's a South American root or plant or okay. something. And I don't think this is caffeine. I think it's called matine or mat, like it has a stimulant in it that's okay. really strong. But I don't think it's properly caffeine. Okay. I think I have like a trigger in my brain. Yeah. So when I drink coffee, I couldn't stay sober off alcohol. Super weird. Wow. Josh has always been a great guy and an inspiration to me both in acting and songwriting. He writes a newsletter called Newsletter, which I find consistently illuminating and motivating to read whenever it shows up in my inbox. And in person, Josh was just the same. <laughs> Sorry. You don't like it. I do like it. I'm going to drink it. I do like I it. I got to say, I don't like this almond milk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the almond milk. It's the almond milk. <laughs> it's maybe an acquired taste. No, no. I like it. I'm going to drink it. We're going to check back in and yeah, we're going to see how much you've drank and it won't be okay. a lot. I had a great afternoon getting to know Josh better. And I think you will too. Anyway, that's my morning uh, hot drink. Nice. Yeah. have a morning routine or like you made this wonderful yerba mate for me <laughs> what's your morning like i guess when you're in la i know as your weeks are different all yeah the time. yeah but like i guess right now what's what's like your life like right now my life right now i mean i'm trying to i i try to like almost like use my day like even if i'm not working uh-huh. i'm one of the reasons i started writing was because i just my least favorite thing about acting was like you had to have permission to do it yes like someone had to invite you to their yes. party or whatever yeah and so you always feel like, I mean, if you're unless you're on like a long running gig, it's like mm-hmm. you're always kind of like saying, like, can I join you and yeah. do this thing I love? And so I found that to be very frustrating. So I, I started writing in my kind of mid to late 20s, like in actor unemployment wilderness where, uh-huh. you know, I, I was I was actually making enough money to live. Right. But it would be I was doing guest spots or I would do a pilot that wouldn't go or I'd get fired from the pilot or whatever it yeah. was, you know, but I would wake up and I just felt like, oh, I can treat my life creatively like I I don't have to have a day job but I'm going to use my time right. so I, I just I write you know I'll go to different places like now that I play guitar my life is a little different just creatively because it's I'm, I kind of divide my time between playing music or practicing guitar writing songs and writing prose like I'm working on a book I have scripts out the wazoo that I am yeah. in various states so I wake up I try to meditate first thing, but that doesn't always happen. What kind of meditation do you do? Because my friend was telling me about the transcendental yeah, one. Yeah, that's what and I then, do. Oh, it is? Yeah. So, so you went and got a... So tell me about that. You went and got... There's Everybody has like a certain... I can't tell mantra. you my mantra. I mean, you don't have to tell me your mantra. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trying to get you to tell yeah. me things. You don't um, I learned in like 2004 yeah. from this guy who who worked directly with a Maharishi. It's a great practice. I don't, I, you know, I'm a little off 
like schools and teachers. Like I've yeah. I've sat at the feet of so many like guru type people, uh-huh. and I've been disappointed in almost all of them when oh, no. <laughs> when their when their real natures revealed. Like yeah, everyone's human, and and of when course. people present themselves as some sort of deified pious figure, I my alarm bells go off now. But yeah. I I learned from this guy who was very good at teaching the the method, and I've done it. I did it for about a decade, like twice a day, quite you know diligently, and then. I don't know, in the last couple of years, it's been like it used to be non-negotiable and now it's become like a little negotiable. Yeah. I, I don't know why that is, but I meditated this morning. You did? I did. You know what? I've been trying to meditate as well. And this morning I did not meditate. Do you so, want, why don't we stop and you can meditate? <laughs> we're just going to meditate we'll, yeah. on the podcast now for yeah, like 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone just close your pullover when you're listening to this. I did this thing where I started. So I have like these guided meditations. And I started mine and I actually said to myself, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't right. do this right now. And I turned it off, which I know is so bad. I have been pretty good about it, but it's um I just I was like, I just I know I'm not gonna get the full the ones that I'm listening to are supposed to like they kind of teach you something each day. Like yeah. they, some thought you're supposed to focus on. And I was like, I'm not gonna be able to focus on it. So I just maybe that's the time when you should do it, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I mean I used to be I used to be much more like, you have to do it twice a day, and you have to yeah. do this. Like, I'm a little off of rules these days. Yeah, like I, I like don't, that. I don't care. Yeah, like like some days it's fine not to meditate, and some days meditation's going to be agony, and some days it's going to be bliss. Yeah, and some days you're not going to do it, and I just feel like I've spent so much of my life beating myself up for shoulds and shouldn'ts. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I I'm done. Like I don't totally. <laughs> I don't, you don't care feel anymore. Like it, don't, yeah, yeah, and it's also it's a little bit like you know, there's that that joy of when you realize you're an adult and you're like, I can totally have ice cream for dinner. Yeah, like I hundred percent can. Like yeah. there's literally nothing stopping me other than some weird you know, mom or dad voice in my head that I'm carrying around and beating myself up with it. Yeah, and it's like I can do what I want. And there's yeah. something, you know, and then I actually heard this really great quote where someone said, do you follow Niche on, uh, on yes, Instagram? I so do. good, right? So good. It's Every like the, day it's just something where I'm like, yep. I know. I cool. screenshot a lot of them. I like, love they're it. They're really good. It's like one of the. It's one of the thing. greatest things about Instagram is something like that. I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah. Just like those daily doses of like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that person mm-hmm. or what they said. So there was something on there and I forget who said it. I think it was a filmmaker. And he said, you can live your life by any rules you want. Yeah. You can make them up. But the 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 trap is thinking that you don't need rules. Like you need them. You mm-hmm. just have to create them. You right. know what I mean? Like you, like a ritual of like yeah. what you do. And I've talked to different like creative people. I, I'm friends with this painter, Will Cotton. And he does a proper like he paints in his loft that he yep. lives in with his partner. And, you know, she goes off to work and he paints for eight hours. It takes yep. an hour for lunch. You know what I mean? Just like he's, takes it like a job. Yeah, he just does it. Doesn't and he doesn't paint on the weekends. Okay. Like yeah. like he's got his thing, right? And yeah. he produces a lot of work and a lot of great work. Yeah. And um, you know, sometimes when I let myself get a little too lawless or like, like ah, it doesn't, you know, yeah. if I have a di- like too many days where I'm like I'm not really doing, doing much, yeah. I get squirrely. Me too. But it's also weird. I mean, when you're a creative person, especially living in Los Angeles, like. You're so unhooked from the nine to five lifestyle yes. of most people. Yeah. Like, you know, when people are like, thank God it's Friday. And you're like, it's Friday. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then like, like Saturday, I might have a super productive, like busy day. Yeah, like, exactly. Or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's, and, and when vacations roll around or holidays, you're like, 
I don't know if I need a break right now. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, so, you know, like life in... Like creating your own rules again. Yeah, you know, it's like, like I've out. created this really interesting creative life for myself where I, you know, I write plays, I write screenplays, I write prose, I write songs, I act when I want to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm so delighted sometimes when I can really step back and appreciate it because it's hard to appreciate your life just generally because <laughs> it's yeah. just like your life. <laughs> but when I step back, I find myself like, I can't believe, like when I was growing up, I, I would see my dad, you know, come home, like he was a lawyer and his tie kind of untied and he just looked like Willie Loman. Uh -huh. you know, it was just like the weight of the world on what his shoulders. What kind of lawyer was he? He was a medical malpractice lawyer. He defended hospitals okay. and doctors. Wow. Yeah. He's retired now and much happier, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, there was something in my brain that was like, don't do that. Like, don't do a job job. Like, you yeah. got to find a way. And once I discovered the theater, it was kind of like, yeah. oh, yeah, I want to do this. And now, where did you grow up? Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, where'd you so grow Midwest, up? So Midwest, Nebraska. Oh, yeah. Um, little yeah. tiny town. Yeah. Uh, well, a couple of little tiny towns, but mostly Wayne, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So then did you, you discovered theater like in high school or was mm -hmm. it like when you were a kid? Started doing musicals in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. What musicals did you guys My do? My first one was Oklahoma. Okay, who were you? Will Parker. Okay, cool. Did you ever play Ado Annie? You'd be a great Ado no, Annie. No, but I, I would like. love to. Yeah. Um. No, I never played Ado Annie. My... Like they did Oklahoma at my school, but when I was like in junior high, oh, okay. so I didn't get to. Yeah. I didn't get to do that one. And then the the following year, I did cabaret. I played the MC in cabaret, and that mm -hmm. was where I was like, okay, you were like really hooked. Yeah, and I was also like really good, like yeah. in a in a weird way. Like you know when you're just nailing it, and you know you're nailing yeah. it. Like I was really just basically imitating Joel Gray on the cast album. Yeah, but I somehow was like, I I just cracked it i just knew yeah. how to do that and then i found this children's theater that would do musicals with 16 to 21 year olds every summer okay so i did three summers there i did joseph the amazing technicolor dreamcoat and then jesus christ superstar and then into the woods mm -hmm. and into the woods we went to the edinburgh fringe festival like we went overseas oh my god so like how old a, were you when you got to do that uh it was in between my first and second year of college okay yeah cool so those summers were like the best like yeah. like still you know, a bunch of 16 to 21 year old musical theater people all yeah. gathered from there. It was kind of like the best people at all the high schools would vie to get, you know, sp mm -hmm. slots in this thing. Where like 20 people yeah. would do it. And it was still some of the most fun I've ever had. Yeah. And it was like where I'm you discovered like drinking, <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, I was already we were we were right. drinking quite a bit at my high school, but it was like it, the parties were insane. You yeah. Know? And my high school friends would like come to some of these parties and be like, dude, this is who you're hanging out with in the summer. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then was anybody in your family like into theater? Or? No, but I was telling you about reconnecting with these long lost relatives. Yes. Yeah. So one of them is a huge producer out here. She's had this big producing career. Yeah. How did you lose contact? Was it just that like she was just like more of a distant cousin or like she how? was like, she's like my mom's second cousin and my mom a couple okay. years ago asked if I knew this person and I was like, yeah, totally. And she's like, she's our cousin. Oh, and wow. so then we connected and we're now friends. And it's nice because I've never asked her for like a role in the X-Men movies or anything. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like she produces very big movies Yeah, and I never have asked her for anything. Yeah. So we just have lunch every once in a while. She's, you know, she came and saw me in my Broadway play a couple years ago, a yeah. couple of times and she's lovely. And then these other cousins, like there were a lot of people that wanted to be actors in my family and it was totally shut down. Why was it shut down? Just because it was considered like not a proper job, yeah. you know? Did, did many people, I guess people did leave Ohio then where you were from. Was it like a common thing to 
leave and move or, or um, most for, of your for like me and my, yeah, my generation with like your uh, one of my sisters is still in Ohio I mean she was all over but she's now back and then another one lives in Laguna, Laguna Beach like you know you know okay. an hour from here so I thought in a weird way I thought everyone would just be leaving Bexley Ohio and coming to New York to chase their dreams. And yeah. it was like me and one other guy did that. Like everyone like, like you're kind of, free, go. Everyone like <laughs> married each other and lives like a couple blocks from where they grew up. And some of my best friends in the world like still live in our town and they're raising their kids in our town. Yeah. You know? And I just had this, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I would like read the New York Times arts and leisure section and see like the big Broadway ads and the reviews and yeah. And I was just, I wanted to climb inside that world. Like yeah. I just wanted to get there. I wanted to get to New York City and be an actor. And I, and I wanted to be a stage actor. Like I was like mm-hmm. pretty, the, the TV stuff like happened a little more in a haphazard way. I mean, not entirely, but I didn't know that I, I knew I could possibly, I knew how to be on stage. I just right. knew how. It felt uh, more. It felt like, you know, you drop a fish in water. It's like I knew how yeah. to swim yes. in that world. When did you start acting? I started, well, I moved to New York City when I was like 19, 20. And I started going to auditions that I found in backstage. Oh, but okay. similar, I was like theater. I, yeah. I moved to New York City because I felt like, it, I mean, I had been doing it in high school and it felt like something I could do where TV and like moving to LA, it felt a little more like, I don't know where I would start. Because I, I knew of backstage and I needed yeah. to go through and find auditions. And so I sort of like, started that way it always felt a little mysterious like how you get on tv or how you get in the movies like i always felt like you needed like some secret password or like your dad had to be the director like i I didn't understand how you did it i I did kind of know people who had gotten like at least like summer theater like regional theater or something you know so it felt more like tangible to me yeah but so how old were you when you moved to new york city was it after college yeah so i went to college this small college in ohio called kenyon college and, and I had a great time there. Like, yeah. like I did, a, I mean, I, I studied everything, but I did plays and I was in the improv what was group. Your, um, what was your degree in? It was in drama. Oh, okay. But it, but it's not, it, it wasn't like going to Juilliard or Boston University or something. Like it was yeah. very, I didn't even take, I mean, I, I went off campus to this thing called the National Theater Institute and got most of my theater credits off campus. Mm-hmm. So I was taking like English and history and, you know, philosophy classes and I would do plays like year round and I was in this improv group and I, every summer I was going to like an apprentice program or like a non-equity company at a theater. So by the time I was graduating college, I, I had a lot of experience in, in a way, you know, for, yeah. for someone, you know, I was 21 and, uh, but I applied to NYU. I had a lot of people tell me, I, I met some NYU graduates from the grad acting program, not the undergrad, but the, the you know, the grad acting program is this really small, insular kind of place. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you 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 belong there. Like like people I really liked and admired, yeah. were like you should go there. So I applied and I got in and I was the youngest person in my class and I did three years there and it was like really, really round the clock, like super intensive. You know, I described it uh, to people like, in in college acting was kind of my mistress it was like mm-hmm. the thing i saw at night and it was like yeah. transgressive and it was like <laughs> yeah. cheating on my schoolwork with it. <laughs> yeah. and then when i got to nyu it was like i was married to it yeah and it was like a deeper level of commitment mm-hmm. but also like it had its challenges like yeah there were moments when i was like do i really want to do this like right yeah do you feel like that kind of training was something that really served you once you got out and started auditioning and yeah you know it was like I feel like NYU, and probably you could say this about a lot of drama schools, they're very good at teaching you how to 
may well auditioning is its own skill you have to figure out how to audition Mm -hmm. that's like the thing they kind of try to teach you but you have to figure that out on your own yeah but the actual like getting a job getting a play knowing how to do a table read and get up on your feet and do blocking and do a tech rehearsal like I just knew how to be in plays by Uh the time I got out of there and I knew even moments before I was there but I feel like they train you very well to play like a major role at a regional theater or off Broadway or even on Broadway like that was what they're really good at what they don't help you out with or barely help you out with is the psychology of being a professional actor yeah of like how to deal with like that weird thing when you're making enough money not to have a day job but you might not work for three or four months what do you do with those three or four months how do you psychologically stay fit and centered and on your on the ball yeah so that you're ready when something comes along how do you keep your spirits up how do you keep your uh, you know how do you talk to yourself yeah like that was all stuff that I really had to learn as I went and a lot of it was trial and error and a lot of it was like like when I got out of school you know you get out of school with like all the Yale Juilliard and NYU people and you're all kind of flooding New York all at the same time together even other grad schools and I realized like sitting around complaining about auditions uh, why is she getting everything because there's always like that one actor that starts getting in movies like mysteriously (laughs) like right away and you're like how are they doing that you know and I realized like sitting around and like bitching about things was the the worst possible thing I could do. Yeah. So I made a real commitment to myself to like not complain. I just realized that like there was something connected to like my psychology. I realized I had to keep myself psychologically fit as much yeah. as anything else. Yeah. Do you, do, do, I do you know totally what I mean? know what yeah. you mean. I've definitely had like dips and like even when things have gone really, really well. And like I've had the times when I've been like, oh, but now I feel really depressed. Like right now I'm getting everything. Oh, success can be the worst. You know, like (laughs) now I'm getting everything I want. But then like if I have like a few days of nothingness, I'm like losing my mind. I mean, I feel like auditions, the psychology of auditions, I go through ups and downs where I'm like, cool, I've got it. I feel like I'm going in and doing good jobs. And then I'll go through a cycle where I'm like, do I, I even remember I, how to act? Do I know all? how to do this? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And it's so, and I mean, I I do think I know. I mean, I hear it, you know, I've been doing it for a while, but I think it's just, I, I think you're right. Like something about learning how to deal with the actual like lifestyle of being an actor. I always tell people that like, I have to look at this as like, I'm a lifer. So my whole life, like if I'm an actor and that's sort of like my anchor in a way, and it's a very strange anchor because it has so many ups and downs, like I have to learn how to sort of like deal with those ups and downs and like, you know, if this is like the path I'm going to be on. Right. It's also, it's also weird, like failure for lack of a better term or rather unemployment. Yeah. It's like a really hard thing to deal with. Yeah. And employment is a really hard thing to deal with. They're both such highs and lows. Yeah. They're- well, well, not I don't even know if that I I know what you're saying, but also employment can be a low. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's like, definitely like strange things to it and like um yeah, tell me more though what you Well, like, there it reminds me of this this joke, how do you ruin an actor's day? Uh, give him a job yeah <laughs> you know because you actually sometimes can get used to or get in a you groove get, with not working yeah and then you suddenly are working and you're like my call's at what time you know what I mean you're yeah like, now suddenly you're like oh I have to be there at 4 a.m yeah you know but then like when you're not working you're like what I wouldn't give for like a 4 a.m call time you know <laughs> I know I like know. when I'm not I like want it so bad but then of course when you're like super busy and then and then if you get on a a, a really successful show that runs for a long time like one of the reasons I love acting 
is because I like inhabiting different people in different parts. Like yeah. when people say, do you like comedy or drama better? I'm like, whichever one I've just done, I want to do the other one. Yep. So, and then you get on a show that for me that ran for nine years and you're like yeah. playing this one character yeah. and you feel like you keep, you know, I mean, I got to do really varied and interesting stuff, but largely you're hitting a, a kind of tone Yeah. or like, and you know, that's hard. That was psychologically yeah. very hard where I yeah. suddenly, and then people start thinking you are the character, which yes, then, then, you, then you start have to thinking about like, how am I being perceived? And there's all these things <laughs> yeah. that I know I can do that casting directors don't even think of me for because they're only seeing me yeah. do this one thing. Yeah. And then, I mean, it's insane. Like, it, it, you know, and then you get on TV and you're like, do I have to try to become a movie star now? Is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Right, like, and I'm is like, the bar now even higher? Yeah. And like, it's even the fact that like you, you get a long running show is already like such like a lucky, wonderful, you know, you hit the jackpot, you know, in a way, but then it feels like the bar just keeps, there's never enough. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's like, and it's kind of. I mean, it's a, a thing I, I talked about in this, uh, in other contexts, but it's called hedonic adaptation, where you get something and you immediately like you get spiked up with adrenaline because you're so psyched you got it. Yeah, and then you just metabolize it, and it's suddenly your life. Like one yeah. day you're not on a hit TV show and then you're on a hit TV show. Yeah. But you're probably the same happy or sad person yes. as you were before. Yes. It's like lottery winners. Yeah. You know? And like I, they, that's it's so interesting you're saying that because I've been trying to remind myself of this too that like it won't matter. Like it won't matter if I'm like super busy or not busy. Like I'm going to be happy because I am making myself happy or not. You for know? Sure. Like I've never, I've never found. Because even when I've been, like I said, like even when I have gotten stuff I've feel, still had moments where I've suffered you know depression or things like that Absolutely. you know um, I mean there's a whole like very well researched genre of very wealthy very famous very outwardly successful people who are miserable like yeah Anthony Bourdain and um Kate Spade you know died by suicide within a week of each other like two of the most like dynamically yeah. successful people yeah and and I think those were so startling because it upends our whole idea about what should make us happy. Yep. You know? Totally. And success, it just doesn't actually fill. If you've got that hole inside you of need, yes. it's not really going to fill it. And in fact, it can deepen your struggle because I sometimes think like hope is like a morphine drip in your arm. <laughs> like like where you're like, okay. You know, my, my, an ex-girlfriend of mine used to say this great thing about L.A. She goes, I love L.A. because you can wake up on a Monday morning with nothing going on. And by Friday, you can have a life-changing opportunity. We were just saying this before you got it's here. Crazy. Like me and yeah. the, uh, Jeff and Rob, the producers here, we were just having this thing where we were like, L.A. is magical because like anything can happen. Like in a day, your, your day can completely change. And it's always been like that. Like this is like Gold Rush, Prospector. Like people came out to L.A., you know, or California, Hollywood yeah. is like this big promise, gold, like it's always had this allure of like, go west, strike your fortune. Yeah. So, but, you know, um, I sometimes feel like the hope can be this, this low grade narcotic where you're like, okay, I'm having a hard time, but by Friday, something could change or next week, like you never know. Yeah. And then when you do get the thing, you get the thing that you thought you wanted. Yeah. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute. Now I'm still unhappy, but I don't have the morphine drip of hope in my arm. And I just have yeah. to deal with the reality of, you know, because you're always going to find things to complain about because we're dissatisfaction seeking creatures. You know what I mean? Like we think we're satisfaction seeking, yeah. but we're actually dissatisfaction seeking. Yeah. We're always looking for problem. Always looking for something to fix or that could be better. Yeah. What's wrong? And maybe 
that spurs us on to evolution and change and to grow. Like maybe there's some evolutionary benefit to that. Yeah. There's this um, writer, Robert Anton Wilson, that I really got a lot from a couple of years ago. He has a book called Prometheus Unbound. And he talks about how um, certain species are like highly stable. So Uh ants, for instance, they have a highly stable, like they build things and they move things around and they have, you know, a hierarchy and it hasn't changed for millions of years. (laughs) Yeah. But ants also haven't changed for millions of years. Like ants three million years ago are basically the same. They were, but human beings like we're highly unstable. Yeah. But look at what we do. Like the evolutionary leaps we take are remarkable. Yeah. So there's something about like, we want everything to be stable, but part of the, like instability is part of what grows us. It's almost like I mean, to get very L.A. about it, like, uh, mm. you know, like working, um, like staying off balance, like in, uh-huh. in workouts, like, you know what I mean? So you yeah. have to engage certain muscles. Yeah. Right. I so I think about like, oh, I'm always wanting things to be like cool and fine. And but part of part of what grows me or spurs me on is like a kind of chaos. Yeah. Or like a kind of like, I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah. Even creatively, like, you know, when you find like sometimes your best acting, especially on cameras when you're lost. Yeah. And you surprise yourself and yeah. you're like, you are really having an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a time that you can think of either like maybe like you were saying when you were on How I Met Your Mother, like when you did feel lower or like bored or creatively, I don't know, drained or something like what made you what helped you, I guess? Was it a person? Was it um, or what helped you to sort of like dig yourself out of that? Or, do, or was it just time? Like, yeah. do you remember specific incidents? Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it's so interesting. Like, I I have found my post How I Met Your Mother creative life to be really exciting and yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, it's weird. Like, I've done, you know, I've done three series. I did a Broadway show. I did a play at Lincoln Center. I turned myself into a songwriter. I've been on tour. Yes. I've, I had a play produced. Like, I've done all this stuff. And you still, you know, you get... Uh, you know, messages from people who are saying, are you ever going to act again? Because they don't I know. I get those all the time. They don't I'm know like, what you've done. They're yeah. like not watching PBS or they didn't yeah. see your NBC show or yeah, they're not yeah. coming to Broadway or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But they think you stopped acting because you're yeah. not on this globally famous show yes. anymore. Yeah. And that's always a little dispiriting. But I, but the trade-off is that I really love all the stuff I've done and yeah. I've been very careful about what I've done. And I, I'm also not one of those people that needs to act all the time. Like I like not, not so acting we, as much as I yeah. like acting, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but on how I met your mother, I mean, that was a very complicated thing that I'm still unpacking on some level. Pam Fryman, our director, who is just the best, um, she told, she pulled me aside early in the run and she said, you're not going to get everything you need creatively from this. Like you're going to have to do other stuff. Yeah. So that's why I, I wrote and directed movies. And I, 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 you know, I, I was really, while I was there, I was conceiving of myself as like a film director. Like I wanted to, and, yeah. and I haven't directed a film in a while. It's interesting. Like I've just. I, I still write movies and I, you know, um, I'm going to, but I just haven't yeah. in a while. And um, the first two seasons of How I Met Your Mother, I got really depressed. Yeah. I was drinking a lot. I was kind of like, okay, I'm a guy, I'm 30, I'm in Hollywood, I'm having some success, I have money for the first time. And I thought that meant I was supposed to like do certain things. But whenever I did those things, I felt foolish, like, like yeah. just being out just like me out some, and about yeah, parties or like parties or, or, yeah. or like I just felt silly. I was like, this yeah. doesn't actually feel right. And, didn't and feel like true to you. Right. Like, but I also noticed my drinking was like an increasing. Issue. Yeah. Like, like I was like, uh, you know, I'd come home, I'd drink a bottle of wine, smoke pot and then wake <laughs> up and go, I don't recall getting into bed, brushing my teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, I don't know where that night went. Yeah. So 
I ended up, I, I've talked about this like um, a little bit now more publicly, but I was a little, it was, a, I had a very interesting relationship to it, but I, I ended up going down to South America and working with this shaman and doing all these ayahuasca ceremonies in between my first and second, my second and third year. Okay. And, um, and what led you to, to that? Was it like, did someone clue you in or yeah, I mean, you, I, something I, you sought out? I heard the word from my friend Jay, who, who was married to my friend Rebecca, who I went to college with, and they had been working with this shaman in Mexico. And I started reading this Daniel Pinchbeck book called Breaking Open the Head. Uh -huh. And I suddenly like something lit up in me and I was like, yeah. I'm going to go do this. Like okay. I need to go <laughs> drink this weird, speaking of brown, oh my brown juice from South America, <laughs> which we're drinking now. Um, I need to like go to South America and do this. So I went to Brazil. I booked two of these workshops where we did three ceremonies each time. So I did six ceremonies down in Brazil and this okay. in Bahia on this beautiful, you know, I left, I didn't even go to the rap party my second year. I left, uh, I, I like basically walked off set, went home. I was already packed. I left the next morning for Brazil. I did six ceremonies. They were stunning and extraordinary. And then before I even went back, I did um, three more ceremonies in Colombia, like in the Now in the what rainforest. happens in a ceremony? Well, you, I mean, this is like a hallucinogen, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it's I a- I don't know that much about it, but it's like fascinating to me. It's a very potent psychedelic, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, I went on for the next, you know, decade to do many, like I did probably 120 ceremonies. Like, okay. And that's part of the reason I stopped drinking was because in Colombia, before I went back for my third season, I, I had this evening that was all about my drinking and how much it had me. Oh, and so wow. I, so I didn't drink for about four years and then I tried again for a couple of years and then it didn't go well. And then I <laughs> stopped again. And then like last year I drank a bit and again, it really didn't go well. So the evidence is in that me and drinking is not, and I'm not, yeah. I'm not uh, sober from like all things. Like yeah. I, I still like to alter my consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but, but that doesn't mix well. Yeah, no, it just doesn't, it yeah. just doesn't do well for me. And, yeah. and, and I also notice, like, if I drink, I just want to keep going. I yeah. want to keep going. Where it's like, I can take a little hit, you know, pot and be like, I'm fine. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. Good. I'm There's, good. like, not a limit with it. And that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I, I really, I found a lot of, like, healing and knowledge through psychedelics. Yeah. Like, and I, and I did them, you know, I did mushrooms in college. And, and then, I, oh, when I went to Burning Man a couple times, and that oh, was wow. fascinating and beautiful. But I ended up, you know, just going to South America. And st I studied with this teacher for about six years that, you know, we also drank, uh, did ceremonies with him. And I found it, it was like, it was almost like my way of dealing with fame and visibility. And it, it was like something that felt very authentic to me. Mm -hmm. And very not in the public eye. Yeah. It was like it was like the thing I did, almost like being like like having a church I could go to or something yeah. that felt really authentic. Yeah. And and again that exploded and and I left that teacher <laughs> and oh. um like but I still you know I, I I I've just now I didn't drink for about three years and I'm I've just now dipped my toe back into it a little bit. Uh -huh. I wrote a book about it that I sold and then I I didn't trust my editor and I didn't think that the book would land well in the media landscape. Like I knew, <laughs> yeah. I knew that. Like, I mean, now I've been noticing a lot of, Oh, it's like, everywhere now. About, and it's like, everywhere and like now. People, especially people who have problems with like depression or people who have yeah. like some horrible disease and they're, you know, upset about it. Like, you know, you can take these different, you know, yeah. you know, psychedelics and stuff. And it kind of, for whatever reason, helps your brain to sort of like, I don't know, like sort out those. It is, it is astonishing. I actually, yeah. I have a friend who is a severe heroin addict and he was nearly suicidal because he couldn't quit. Yeah. And he was 20 years, you know, user. 
And he ended up going to Amsterdam and working with something called Iboga, which is a West African um, psychedelic. And it's very powerful, very long, arduous kind of process. But he did one ceremony he's never used again. And he became wow. like a, a an ordained um, priest through the Buiti tribe in uh -huh. um, Gabon. Um, oh and God. he now, you know, he gives it to people. Like he's helped a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's astonishing. I mean, I don't, I don't think anything is a miracle cure-all. Right. Like for me, ayahuasca and other psychedelics, they're, they're, they're best used to me is they almost give you a sneak preview of what's possible. Like they put, yeah. they deposit you in this place where you, you actually are in your heart and your ego is given, a, you're given a reprieve from your ego yeah. for just a moment. Yeah. And you can almost feel what it must be like to be like a saint or a sage, yeah. like, like who's really done the work. And, um, Ramdas's uh, teacher, Ramdas is a spiritual teacher and his teacher was this, um, man named Neem Karoli Baba who, he gave him some LSD in the 60s uh -huh. and he gave it to him twice and the, he was with him for 12 hours and there was no discernible difference in Neem Karoli Baba's behavior. Oh. He was just like totally chill the whole time. Yeah. And Ramdas said to him like, what do you think of the medicine I gave you? And he thought for a moment, he said, it's very good. He said, uh, it can take you into the room with Christ, but you're not allowed to stay there. Mm. So it like it gives you this divine experience and then it kicks you out. Okay. So you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I do so think there's lasting still... benefits, but I I was like, I think I was psychologically addicted to it. Like I wanted to be in that state a lot uh -huh. and I did it a lot. Uh -huh. And I had some extraordinarily weird <laughs> and trippy and amazing yeah. experiences and some hellish experiences. <laughs> but it was something about like, I almost felt like, I don't know, there was so much about being on this hit show and feeling like so much was out of my control and feeling imprisoned by it yeah. that I was looking for something that felt free yeah like that could that, that could that. shoot me out to the cosmos and bring me back safely yeah and that's that's what I found yeah yeah so what led you to I mean I guess you you said you had already started doing some directing and all of that while you were yeah. on the show um I'm curious about your music I'm yeah. curious about two things like what led you to yeah start start doing music um and I guess uh yeah so do you remember like the first song you wrote or? Well, um, um, I was at the Guthrie Theater in between my second and third year at grad school. Mm -hmm. And there was a guy there named Mike who was a real sweetheart and he was a really good guitar player. And he was a good, he was a good songwriter. Um, and I wrote lyrics, like we wrote seven songs together. And wow. I, I wrote all the when lyrics. When you were in grad school? Uh -huh, but okay. I never wrote a note. I just okay. wrote lyrics. Okay. And we played them like on the final night and uh -huh. everyone loved them. And it's so interesting that I had. The, oh, and when I was a little kid, my friend Jeremy Hirschfield and I wrote songs <laughs> like we wrote these songs. Yeah. And we sang them for our mom in like the oh fourth grade. Yeah. So it's if I look back, I always see that there was yeah. this theme. And then I got into musicals and I loved singing, even though singing's vulnerable and i if i haven't sang for a while i get super self-conscious to sing yeah, yeah. i'm a little over it now because i'm singing all the time with uh -huh. the guitar but um when i hadn't done a musical for a while and i had and i got hired to do one it would always be like the first notes around the piano were terrifying <laughs> um but ben lee has been a friend of mine for a long time since like maybe 2006 and um we had been talking about writing a song together. He came with me and we I got a, I bought a guitar years ago, this Gibson J45 that I rarely played. Mm -hmm. And um, we had been talking about writing a song together. We thought we would, there was just something we thought that would be fun. Um, and then about six years ago, five years ago maybe, we wrote our first song together. 
And um, and was it like you kind of coming in with the lyrics again, or did you just do them together like a songwriting session? Well, what, we do you... we do both. But but what was interesting about our first session was I thought Ben, much like the, the, that guy Mike, like I thought he would handle most of the music and we would collaborate on the lyrics or I would do more lyrically. Yeah. And what happened was Ben said to me, the first thing he said was, do you have any melodies that have been kicking around in your head? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I do, because I was doing this play on Broadway called Disgraced. And it was the dead of winter in New York, like a February. And yeah. I was having this dream. And it was this children's choir was singing this melody. And it was beautiful. And everyone was crying. And I remembered the melody. And I woke up singing the melody. Yeah. And the melody was so strong that I croaked it into a, you know, a like voice, voice memo. memo. Yeah. Yes. And it was like in the middle, you know, my voice is like, you know, <laughs> 2 a.m. voice. Yeah. But I sang this melody. And I said, wait. And I went and found it. This was like a year ago. that I yeah. had And I listened to it. And I came back in humming it. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is what it is. And Ben was like, oh, that's beautiful. And he started playing it on guitar and he said, I love this. Yeah. And that became our first song called Wider Spaces, mm-hmm. which is the last song on the first record. Okay. Um, so we we used this Herman Hess poem we really liked and we kind of adapted the lyrics and we put them to this song, this melody that I dreamt. And then Ben, uh, he used to, um, you know, he was in my ayahuasca community. I got him involved in all that. Okay. He, did, he did a whole album about ayahuasca. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> um, and he came up to me after a ceremony that we were in Mount Shasta and he said, I got this really strong message that I'm supposed to support you and your musical vision. And I was wow. like, what? And he, and I said, do I have a musical vision? And he's <laughs> like, I think you do. And um, he was so supportive and so solicitous of my musical opinions, not just lyrical opinions, uh-huh. that he really gave me like a, a lot of permission to like find um, melodies in myself. Yeah. And, you know, he would start playing like a chord progression and I would just hum a melody atop it. Yeah. And then that's how we wrote a lot of songs. But he would also like he he's actually a melody genius. So he would adapt them a little bit or it became a real back and forth. Some songs we sit down and write side by side and bang out 100 percent together. Yeah. Like that song Down in the Dirt on our, you know, that was just side by side. Give me your mess side by side. Oh, I love Um, Give Me Your Mess. It's fun, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also like the Green Street one. Oh, Green Street. Yeah. That was a really. That's where I think um, Green Street one was, I was like, oh, now I feel like there's like a shift. Is that, is that, is that making sense? Well, that actually. shift in the record, like the songs after it are just like that tiny bit darker. I mean, all of them are a little bit always like hinting to this sort of like, oh, the world's going to (laughs) end. Well, the first line of the album is apocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then like I kept hearing it in other songs, even if the subject matter was slightly different. I kept hearing this like, like, well, you know, the world's going to end or like, oh, there's, you know, fires coming. We're going to die. (laughs) Yeah. And then but still somewhat, I guess, sweet, upbeat. And then I did feel like on the Green Street one, which I really loved. And then the ones after that, there's like a little bit of a darker turn. I don't know if that's intentional. Well, the animal's very dark. The animal's really dark. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional, but that's what I It is. I mean, we wanted to front load the the toe tappers a little bit more at the the front of the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, it's true. Green Street, I was doing this show called Rise in New York, and I was staying on Green Street. And Ben came in. I think we had our record release show, and we were doing a couple, like, little press in New York. And um, he was staying with me. We, We went and got some food. And we we saw this um, this girl arguing with her boyfriend on the street. You know uh-huh. the line that girl and her boyfriend. Yeah. You know that that was just we had seen this girl, and then we were sitting around. I think we'd had a couple puffs, and yes. we're on Green Street, <laughs> and uh, Ben starts playing the the thing. Oh, and the Harvey Weinstein story had just broken. Oh. So and 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 I don't remember what our president was doing, but something horrible. Something there awful. was something horrible going on. And it just felt like the news was terrible. Yeah. But that night on Green Street. I was, 
What? When I was listening to it, I wanted to say like, I feel like Josh should maybe like not watch so much CNN or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you watch CNN, but in my mind. I don't. I read I, it Maybe enough, you don't, yeah. but yeah. Uh-huh. And I guess it's in all the news, but just because I was like listening to it and I was like, because whenever I'm feeling that way, I'm like, okay, I need to chill it on the news. Right. Well, <laughs> but, the whole thing is an interplay between the peace that we were feeling in that apartment that night, which yeah. was real. It was like beautiful. It had just yeah. rained. It was like Soho was empty. Yeah. And then then the, the 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 louder parts are like, but the world's on fire out there. Yeah. You know, and just that juxtaposition between a quiet, perfect moment between friends on a quiet New York City street and then the madness that's going on in the world at all times. Yeah. And and how do we hold both those things? You yeah. know, that's what that song's I'm glad you really like that song because um you know, it's more of a B side on the record, but it's one of my favorite songs that we've written together. Oh, really? And it was, and it actually yeah. felt like when we when we wrote that song, we were also like leaving the spiritual community, and that was a real process, and we were really processing it that night. And that song felt like a new phase for us, like yeah. of that of the songwriting. I know there's other people that really hook into that song, and and I love it. It's one of my favorites, but you know, you have to. It's definitely what is it like song eight or nine on the record? It's 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 a little deeper yeah, on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I feel like that's something I'm always sort of like thinking about, struggling with. I guess just where it's like you can be having like the best time, or like things are going, but then like the world and there's so many problems I, and figuring out how to sort of like where you carry that. Like you can't just like carry that all around, or like right. you, can't, you have to like enjoy what you have and do the best with what you have and i think of it like okay so we're we're having this conversation right now and we'll spend a couple hours together like in those hours like some terrible things have happened on the earth yeah and some people fell in love yeah some people broke up someone got hit i mean many people got hit you know like (laughs) it's crazy it's just crazy to think of the, the the amount of life happening like do you ever go to a foreign country like you go to like Japan or India and you realize Japan and India is happening all the time. Yes. Like it's just happening. Like, like yeah. I'm, I think that like LA is just happening cause we're all solipsists, <laughs> yeah. you know, but really the world is happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That always, I always find that remarkable. That's, I mean, it's kind of what green streets about like that negotiation between private and like individual and collective. Yeah. You know, but the real shift for me in a lot of ways, and and this is how I marked the shift between the first and the second record, was the first record I didn't play a note on because uh-huh. I did not know how to play guitar. Yeah. And then I went through this breakup that was like one of those, it was like a six-month relationship that ended very suddenly. Uh-huh. And I was super rocked by it. Like it just, yeah. it was just like one of those that really like took the wind out of me. Yeah. And I, I was sitting around one night and I knew like a couple chords and I, I couldn't really strum, yeah. but I knew how to make shapes. Yeah. And um, I saw my guitar, the guitar I bought with Ben like years ago, sitting there and I picked it up and I wrote this song with like just these D variations. And I, I was going like this, like almost like flamenco. Like I was just, I didn't know yeah. how to strum. And But I wrote this song called Foolish Gold and I played it for Ben and he really liked it. And then we have a thing in our, we started a thing in our show where we do our set and then t- kind of toward the end, I play a song and he plays a song uh-huh. and then we come back together and finish the show. So I started playing Foolish Gold at shows and people really loved it because it's it's like, I mean, it's not like the most musically sophisticated song, but it's super vulnerable yeah. <laughs> and you can tell like it's real, <laughs> yeah. like something real happened. Yeah, you yeah, know? Totally. It's just one of those songs. So I got a lot of good feedback on it. And then Ben said to me, he goes, let's be a two guitar band. Like you should really learn. Yeah. So then I got a teacher. I have a teacher in New York. I have a teacher in L.A. 
I'm now like, I buy a lot of guitars. Like that's like my one <laughs> yeah, thing no. of like, I buy guitars <laughs> and it's been, it'll be two years and uh, three years in February since I've been playing. But like I play in our shows, like I play yeah. on most of those songs on the record. And I mean, it's like the best way to learn how to be a guitar player is like play in front of paying audiences, you know? Yeah. And then, and then the guitar is a very forgiving instrument. Cause I kind of think about like, like there's been bands that know as much as I know on guitar who made mm -hmm. like classic records. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, like the Ramones, like they just figured out how to play their instruments. They made like <laughs> yeah. great records. Yeah. So I feel like you don't have to know that much to be a really interesting songwriter on the guitar. Yeah. I'm never going to be like, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan or something, but I, I feel like I have some real skill at songwriting. Yes, and I yeah. know how to, I, at this point, like I know how to kind of scramble chords in an interesting way. And I'm, I, I do know how to kind of craft a melody and, and I'm, a, and I, and I, I think I'm a good writer, so I'm able to use my just native writing skills. Yeah. And and figure it I've figured it out. And and I'm you know, I, I write a ton of songs in addition to the Radner and Lee stuff that I'm gonna start releasing soon. But that's been the biggest shift for me is like I've been an obsessive music fan for so long that yeah. I didn't realize that I actually wanted to be doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would sit there, I remember seeing like Damien Rice in like when he was touring with O, I saw him like eight times in a year. Yeah. And I just remember being absolutely hypnotized by him. Yeah. And thinking that a guitar player who sings and writes songs, like it was like a foreign language or it was some alien talent that I was never going to have. Yeah. But learning how to play guitar at my age, which is advanced for a guitar player, I wasn't like, you know, I got my nephew an acoustic guitar at 11 and I uh -huh. just got, he just turned 13 and I got him an electric guitar uh -huh. the other day and and he's so good because kids just pick it up yeah, so quickly. Yeah, you pick it up so, yeah. yeah. When did you start playing instruments? <laughs> well, I learned piano when I was young. Like I, I started lessons like when I was like eight, nine. Yeah. But then I kind of stopped in a way and did like when I was in high school, I was in band. So I did like saxophone, but then I was also like the drum major. So I was always like playing different instruments. Yeah. And I similar where like I play guitar, but it's almost like, and even piano for me, it's like they're tools. Like, I don't think anyone's ever going to hire me to like play their guitar. Part. I'm not like soloing guitar right, parts, right, you know, yeah. but it's like so much of a tool. And I do like like with music, I first learned how to read. So then switching over to when I got older and was like playing in bands and stuff, like kind of learning how to play more by ear and stuff was like a switch for me or like learning how to play based on like the melody and then finding it, mm -hmm. you know, was a switch where like before I used to always have like you know, sheet music in front of me totally. when I was learning piano. So I've been playing for a while, but I taught myself guitar as an adult, similar to you. I was singing backup in bands and same thing. I'm like such a music fan. When I was growing up, my parents would take me to every concert. Yeah. Like my parents are big music fans. Who were like the I, big people that like when you're growing up, would you say were like your musical like, um, lineage? Well, it depends on my age range, but when I was very little, I loved the Carpenters. Oh, yeah. Like my parents yeah, yeah. would listen to the Carpenters. Mine too, yeah. And I loved Chicago because they took me to a Chicago concert. I loved John Lennon, the Beach Boys, the Beatles. You know, my dad loved James Taylor, So you're like, a you're like a melody person like me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Eagles. Like yeah. Those, that's who my dad and my mom loved. So that's who I loved as like a little child. I love Jackson Brown so much. Oh, He's yes. such a good songwriter. Yeah, yeah. He's kind of underappreciated and underdiscussed. You think? Yeah, In I guess way, so. I think songwriters understand how good he is. Yeah. But like the public... Yeah, I don't know if they get like yeah, he's like yeah. a major songwriter. Um, what about you? Do you remember like the first musicians you loved or? Yeah, I mean, my mom grew up. I mean, I grew up. You know, my mom's music was like she loved John Denver. Oh. Um, 
My dad was like Bob Dylan, Jim Croce. They yes, loved the Jim Beatles. Yeah. Simon and Garfunkel. My mom also really loved Barry Manilow. Okay. And I, I, you know, I could dig on some Barry Manilow. Yeah. I actually did a cover of a Barry Manilow song for Hunters, the new show I'm doing, but I think it's, oh, cool. it, I think it got cut. No. <laughs> yeah. Why? I mean, it, it was just, it was just to play over this, you know, it was like yeah. a sync uh, needle drop, but um, okay. it was really funny, but the whole storyline got cut because the episode was so long. Oh. It was a bummer, but maybe they'll use it in next season. I've been told they're going to try. Um, yeah. So what else? Um, what about like when you were like, oh, this is my, because you know how there's like that switch between like it's your parents' music, but then do you remember like as a teenager or anything, like what was the band that you yeah. were like, or a song that you heard? Well, I was really, I mean, I love James Taylor too. I liked Billy Joel growing up. Okay. My my town was very like Grateful Dead, okay. Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Okay. Were like, those were like the cool bands to love. Wow. But I always liked, I, I remember seeing... On VH1, I remember it was the debut of the Indigo Girls Closer to Fine video, uh-huh. which is like an incredible song by any standard. Yeah. It's like a, it was like an instant classic. <laughs> yeah. And something about like, I don't know how old I was, 12 or something. I knew that it was amazing. Yeah. Like I was like, who are these women yeah. and these guitars? And like, I yeah. just thought it was the coolest song. And I remember going to the record and tape outlet, um, which was like the place you got all your music. What was it called? The record and tape the record outlet, and tape RTO. Outlet. Yeah. Okay. And I found the Indigo Girls, you know, debut album. And I had this tape collection that I was very proud of, mm-hmm. you know, and I had it all organized and and it looked great. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, the Indigo Girls, I don't know if they're cool or not. So I, I like hid the cover or I, I like put the tape in a cover of something that I didn't have the tape for just yeah. to hide it. And it was like this secret love of mine with this yeah. song. And it's fun now. Like, I, you know, when you you realize you have good taste, but you didn't know it at the time, like. I remember when I loved musical theater, so I thought I was supposed to like Cats, and then I was taken to go see Cats, and I fell asleep. Uh-huh. Like, I really didn't like it. Yeah. And then I learned later, like, oh, you're not supposed to like it. It's not good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh, I had I had good taste, like, instinctually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And I feel like the Indigo Girls are, like, terrific songwriters. Yes. You know, really good. Yeah. And I loved them immediately. So yeah. I've always responded to, you know, I've gone through phases, like, like certain times in your life, like my senior year of college, I got like super, super intoxicated on Joni Mitchell's Blue. Oh, yeah. Which is like, I, mean, I, I feel could, like everyone has like a certain a blue time phase, when they like yeah. were listening to it constantly. I or... couldn't stop listening to it. I would take yeah. it everywhere and cis people play it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then after kind of when my first big relationship was ending, I discovered Damien Rice, oh, that album. Uh-huh. I wrote a piece about that for this website called The Rumpus. You know, just like there are certain music and musicians mark periods in my life. Like I discovered this band Cloud Cult from Minnesota. They're one of my favorite bands. I actually collaborated with them on a movie called The Seeker. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're an extraordinary band. And like right now I'm in like a big Nick Cave kind of situation i saw him at disney hall a couple weeks ago have you read his like red red hand files do you know what that is no red hand files yeah he does a it's an email sign up it's like a free thing so once a week he answers this letter like a letter like a fan letter okay and you know he lost his son like like four or five years ago three years ago maybe so he's become like this really like wise elder in in the grief community yeah and he, his letter from yesterday or the day before was so extraordinary. I'll forward it to you. Yeah, send it to me. I it wanna... was so beautiful. Like, like I just, I, you know, I like his music, but I really like whatever soul he is. That's like just yeah. creating stuff. And I, I, I like, I'm, I'm really like, I'm just a melody freak. Mm-hmm. Like if there's good melody, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in, you know? Yeah. 
I'm listening to Dolly Parton's America. Are you listening oh, to it? Oh, no, but I saw that on your newsletter. Yeah, yeah. I liked that. You had so many Oh, can we plug the newsletter? Yeah, because I wanted to ask you, like, yeah. what made you start that? Oh, okay. Yeah, what made you... When did you start it? Well... I, I loved... Just I loved the last one because I was reading it in the airport on my way to Thanksgiving, and there was something about, like, forgiveness or something. I don't yeah. know why it, like... I, I don't remember the... I read the whole thing, but I don't remember all of it, but there was something about forgiveness that like stuck with me in this big way that day. I don't know if it was like... Was it the thing of giving up the idea the past should be different than it was? Yeah, and I think I was like, you know, when you go into seeing your family and like I, I do love seeing my family, but of course like everyone, there's those like, oh, why can't mom just, why is dad this yeah. way? Why why are they this way? You know, they messed me up this way. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? It's and of course so everyone has like their stories, but I was just like, I'm just gonna like, I get to see my mom and dad. That's it. Like, yeah. I'm not going to like get into it. So it you know? helped you. It helped you. It like, totally helped before. Me. Oh, that's awesome. Because I read it just as I was waiting at the airport. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it was Ben actually who said, um, you should get, you should do an email like newsletter. Like you should yeah. just get, and, and he said, um, and this has been confirmed for me, like you, um, like if you get emails, it's way more powerful as a kind of marketing or connecting tool than like Twitter followers or Instagram followers, yeah. because people who give you their email, they'll click a link, they'll buy an album. Yeah. They're much more dedicated. So I started writing, I, you know, I, I don't remember what gave me the idea for it, but rather than just doing a, a newsletter about like, this is my latest project, mm-hmm. I started to write almost like like blog posts, but they were more chiseled than that. They weren't yeah. like stream of consciousness. Like I actually spent a little time, yeah. you know, a lot of time figuring out what I want to say. And they've actually expanded and they've gotten a little more ornate and and doing it more deep dive. My early ones were, were I was kind of testing the water and figuring out what it was. But so, so I do a kind of essay-ish thing where I talk. So the last one was called Forgiveness, Mercy and Grace. Mm-hmm. And I do a kind of dive into like, what am I thinking about lately? Like, where am I where am I stumbling? Where am I having some success? Where, what is the world feeling like to me in this moment? So I write this thing and then I link a bunch of articles and stuff that I, videos, like things that have been inspiring me. Yeah. And I recommend things. You yeah, know? I love that part of it. Yeah. I also feel like it feels catered towards like more creative person. Although I feel like most people are creative in some way or yeah. like some jobs, even if you don't think of them as creative, are, it's definitely ga- catered, but it, yeah. Yeah, feels uh, you know catered to more like artists or more is like soulful seeking people. Yeah, like people who are like th- wanting to engage with the bigger questions. Yes, like one of the things that I always try to do in there and and in my life is when I get overwhelmed with like the the CNN any Trumpy <laughs> yeah. of it all the the, the how yeah. how friction filled the modern moment can feel. I try to remember like. There have always been bad kings. There have always been bad leaders. Yeah. Like, what did the people who last say? Like, what did the writers who, who like, matter still, mm-hmm. what were they saying and how can that help us now? Yeah. So it's kind of like leaning more into perennial philosophy. Yeah. So I started, I wrote, I started writing them and I get feedback from people that is so astonishing. Like, one thing that people say with such regularity is, like, you have no idea how much I needed this in this moment or you you said this thing that I couldn't quite articulate that I've been thinking about. Wow. Like, like it just feels like there's like a synchronistic kind of thing where I think Thoreau or Emerson said, you know, say what is true for you because it's true for all people. 
Yeah. Like what is true for you is true for all people. And so whenever I write just like, okay, this is, I'm taking my emotional, spiritual, philosophical temperature Mm -hmm. and this is what comes out and people go, oh my God, me too. Yeah. I'm the same. People feel more the same than we realize. Yeah. The things that we're dealing with. So, uh, you know, if you're listening, you can sign up either on my Twitter page or my Instagram page has like a link to sign up for the newsletters. And there, I will not bombard your inbox. They come like once every two months. Yeah. It's an infrequent thing. Yeah. But I've, I've met some really fascinating people because of them and- it just feels like a different way to connect. Do people you know? respond on Twitter or can you respond to that? I mean, you can newsletter. write me back on the, you can oh. write me back. I, don't, I can't read okay. all of them, but yeah. I do sometimes respond. <laughs> now you're just going to get like a million. <laughs> yeah, I do sometimes respond if, if something it strikes me, but, um, yeah. y- you know, but, you know, you can reach out through any platform and I, yeah. I, I, I don't respond to everyone. You got to be judicious. Yeah, I know, I you know? know. I have, I think, just one more question. For sure, you. yeah. Okay, so since we're having, you know, your Yerba Mate yeah. together, if you if you could have your yerba mate with anyone, you can set the scene or anywhere. It doesn't have to be like whoever. Who would it be and like set the scene? <laughs> well, I'll just tell you that the first thing that popped into my head. Okay. I like, I really dig my sisters. Yes. Like I have two, yeah. I have these two sisters that one older, one younger. Uh-huh. You're like me. I'm the middle. Oh, two. you are? Mm-hmm. One younger, one older. What's the... Uh, Genders. Uh, the sisters. Sisters. Yeah, we're all sisters. Oh, okay. All girls. So you're the exact same as me. Two <laughs> yeah. sisters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I heard this really interesting thing about birth order. Mm. Have you noticed that people you've dated and really good friends of yours are also second borns? Um, second borns, not so much dated, but I would say good friends. friends. Yeah. Really good friends and or only children. Uh-huh. I don't know why only children, but I've had a lot of like really good close friends who are. Uh, so many of my deepest friends are second borns. Oh, wow. And so it's like they they do say that you tend to to yeah. link up with like yeah. people. Yeah, you're like, your, I know what it felt I like. I know what it's like <laughs> yeah, to have someone there before me. <laughs> so yeah, my sister's like, you know, we had Melanie, my older sister, like she was, she was so hard on me when we were growing up. Uh-huh. And my younger sister was four years younger. So she was never quite in the same, like we, I left high school and she came into high school. And I left yeah. college and she came into college. So there was like, she, I didn't know my younger sister that well when I was growing up. And my older sister was like my enemy growing up, uh-huh. but they've turned into like just two of my best friends. And my older sister, my, my parents have like kind of weird relationships with their family. Mm-hmm. And my older sister at one point was like, okay, we have this weird sibling thing in our family. We're going to be in each other's lives. Like we are not going to turn on each other. We're going to support each other. Yeah. And she just kind of declared it. That's and great that she said that. It was amazing. So Melanie and Joanna, like they're like properly best friends. Like they talk every day. Yeah. But but the two of them are just so they're different, but they like really delight me. And whenever it's just the three of us, I always feel like it's like very special. Yeah. Like they have, they both have kids. Yeah. You know, and husbands. And but whenever it's just the three of us, there's something really funny about you know when you you can talk. Like, like I, I said to them, like, we're the only two people that had these two people as par- we're the only three yes. people that had these two people as parents on yes. the earth. <laughs> yes. So like, sometimes you just need to be like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, or you just need to like <laughs> yeah. talk with like an ally. Yep. And, um, you know, they understand me in some sort of intuitive way. And they also, they're also really funny because Melanie, my older sister, she like loves the Hollywood stuff and she always wants to hear about what's going on. What was it like? And who did you see? And yeah. Blah. 
And Joanna, my younger sister, like couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. And there's something nice about that balance where Melanie helps me appreciate everything. Mm -hmm. And Joanna helps me keep everything in perspective. Yeah. Like I'll, I'll tell them about the same evening, mm -hmm. exact same details. And Melanie will be like, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And Joe will be like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So, so there's like this perfect balancing act yeah. in my life. And the, they've also called me out on stuff when I really needed a talking to and, and and sometimes you know if you get down if I get down on my parents I'm like well they produce those two girls yeah like they're great you know and how often do you get those moments where it's you three would you say um not it's a little no. bit rare yeah. yeah I mean we'll we'll sometimes um do like uh you know they'll call me they'll they'll put me into the call like mm -hmm. like they'll call me and the three of us will talk and there've been some you know just family healthy stuff we've had to deal with of so course. so we've been talking and yeah and it's been um it's great so like you know the thought of like having some yerba mate with my sisters is like yeah pretty rad sounds nice yeah that's awesome well thanks yeah. for being on the podcast oh man Josh. thanks it was nice talking to you so i'm nice glad we finally to got to meet me too yeah yeah <laughs> i'm following you on twitter for a while so <laughs> I, know, I followed you back yeah <laughs> <laughs> and now josh radner Um, this is a song I actually started in New York maybe about six months ago and only finished like a month ago. A friend of mine got a very, very, very terrible diagnosis, health diagnosis, and uh, it felt like a, like really bad. Uh, she's doing okay, like miraculous actually. But at the time I was, I was feeling very helpless and I kind of just wrote a song from that place of feeling like I didn't know what to do. So that's where the song came from. Okay. All right. I am tired, Lord, am I too young to feel this way? I worry that tomorrow will feel just like today. Tears are coming, Lord, they're coming and I don't know when. I worry that they'll start to fall and they may never end. see it Lord help me see another way cause I am tired Lord too tired to pray I can't breathe Lord I'm choking on the bitter words unsaid there's a kinder better man trapped inside my head Broken-hearted, Lord, sick and tired of all the pain. Gather up your mercy, let it fall like rain. Help me hear it, Lord, I'll take any old cliche. Cause I am tired, Lord, too tired to pray. friend is sick, Lord, she's far too young to go away. Is there a master plan or do you make mistakes? Do you ever make mistakes? Are you there, Lord, or do my words just drift into the air? The thought of your indifference 
is more than I can bear. Give me words, Lord. I don't know what to say. I want to cry out, Lord, but I'm too tired to pray. Something's moving, Lord. As I confess these doubts to you It's said that you can make the old things new Oh God, let it be true I don't know, Lord What in God's name is going on But they say it's darkest Just before the dawn Healing's coming soon, of that we can be sure. For right next to the poison grows the cure. As I move these strings, I feel my troubles float away. I will go on, Lord, for another day. You can listen to Josh's band Radner and Lee on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to music. I highly recommend it. And don't forget, we have a playlist going of some of my favorite songs from these episodes on Spotify. You can find a link to that and a list of the books, albums, and anything we referenced in this episode in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>